or this week, I came across somebody, uh, not personally, uh, the person's been dead for a long time, but uh, somebody called Charles Simeon. Does anybody know that name? Uh, You may not know that name, but that person has influenced, Charles Simeon has influenced um, this nation and his influence is still felt today in a number of different ways. For those that don't know, and I didn't know until about Tuesday about him, he was... uh, Born in the 18th century, he was a contemporary, just a little bit younger than Wesley and Whitfield, people who shaped the spirituality of this nation. And he, alongside them, was used mightily by God. He came from a very privileged background, uh, did Simeon. He uh, was educated from an aristocratic background. He was educated at Eton, and then he went to King's College Cambridge, and as he arrived to Cambridge, within the first few days of his arrival, uh, the master of the college invited him to come and take communion at the service in chapel. And Simeon was just overwhelmed with the weight of what he was about to do. He said this, he said, Satan himself was as fit to attend the sacrament as I. He did not feel spiritually prepared. He was not in the right place in his heart or in his life. And so what he began to do in those uh, days before the the gathering on the Sunday was to to read the Bible. He turned to the Bible and various devotional books about people who'd experienced God and who were following God. And um, in the midst of that, he had an encounter with God that was uh, very powerful. I think we have this on a quote, Esther, if we can get it on the screen. He, uh, as he was reading in, from the Old Testament, um, reading about sacrifice in the Old Testament, he thought this, what? May I transfer all my guilt to another? Has God provided an offering for me that I may, lay, that I may lie my sins on his head? That is Jesus. He immediately laid his sins upon the sacred head of Jesus. And he goes on, there began a hope of mercy. On the Thursday that hope increased. On the Friday and Saturday, it became more strong. And on the Sunday morning, Easter day, April the 4th, I woke early with these words upon my heart and lips. Jesus Christ is risen today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He got through his time at university at Cambridge completely changed. This is a time when spirituality in this nation was at an incredibly low ebb. And, you know, we think back on the past and we think, gosh, in those days, everybody went to church. Everybody were, were believers. Actually, in Cambridge, it was a very violent place. It was an extremely violent time. There were riots that broke out on the streets. Uh, public, in public, all sorts of things were going on that were uh, just deeply disturbing for Simeon. And at the end of his time at Cambridge, he was ordained at the age of 23 into the church. And he took over Trinity Church church in the center of Cambridge which maybe you visited now he wasn't liked he wasn't the congregation's first choice they actually wanted somebody else and so they began to complain about him and the way that they began to complain was to shut up uh, their own pews you used to if you were wealthy you would rent pews in those days that you could have a dedicated use of and they would lock them they wouldn't show up themselves and by locking them they wouldn't allow anybody else to come to worship on a Sunday They didn't want him. He wasn't their first choice. Secondly, the reason they didn't like him is because he was known as an enthusiast. And you have to shout that word if you're going to say it uh, at all. 
He was an enthusiast. He was an evangelical preacher and he used to go for it in the pulpit and they weren't much pleased about that. Simeon responded to this by innovating. The first thing he did is to put benches in the aisles. (laughs) You lock up your pews. We'll sit in the aisles. (laughs) He then started an evening service, which was unheard of at this point. And students began to come. The people, the townsfolk didn't come to church, but students began to come. And so he began to disciple them. He began what, he, what were described as conversation parties, which would meet on Friday night at his house, where he would expound the scriptures, teach people to follow Jesus. Really, this is the beginning of what we now know as small groups. Began with Simeon. And it all began because God did something in his life. By the time he died, it is estimated that one third of all Anglican ministers in the country had sat under his teaching at one time or another. Extraordinary. You see, when God meets, when Jesus meets someone, whatever the trajectory of their life up to that point can can be radically changed. And often we see, as we read stories of the Bible, But also as we see these historical stories, that that is exactly what happens. People sleepwalk sometimes their way to an encounter with Jesus. And when they meet him, they leave completely different. And I want to look today at the story of Bartimaeus as something of a parable for that process. Because I believe that it's that process that we need more than anything else at the moment. We need a revival in our churches. We need a revival in our culture. And it's going to happen as as people meet Jesus. And it has to begin with us. I believe that God is calling his church to repentance. And what repentance means, as some of you, as many of you know, is a coming home. It's a coming back, if you like, to first principles. And for the church, the first principle is not a principle at all. It's a person. It's Jesus Christ. What can we learn as we look at Bartimaeus and keep Simeon, Charles Simeon, in our minds? Well, first of all, who is Bartimaeus? Who is Bartimaeus? Well, we read a few things in Mark chapter 10, which Pat read to us this morning. Here's what we read. Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples together with a large crowd were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. The first thing we know about Bartimaeus is is biographical. It's very simple, but it's also hugely significant. And that is that Bartimaeus is blind. Very obvious fact. Bartimaeus is blind. That's not a metaphor. Very simply, he can't see. We don't know whether it's a congenital uh, lack of sight, whether he's been suffering like this all his life, whether it's degenerative. We just know at this point in time, Bartimaeus can't see. And so as a consequence of that, he's begging. Again, uh, that's a very natural thing. It says he was sitting by the roadside begging. You know, there is in this time... uh, well, we celebrated this, this week, didn't they? We're beginning of the NHS. It's 70 years old. It's not sort of 2,000 years old. So there's no welfare state. Hadn't even been invented in Jericho at that point. So Bartimaeus, if he wants to receive anything, he has to ask for it. He can't work. 
So he sits by the roadside begging. Now, fortunately for him, he lives in a Jewish culture and almsgiving, handing over, giving things to other people was thought about very positively. And he's outside Jericho, which is a fairly wealthy place. So he probably did okay. But his blindness occasions this, uh, this habit, this practice of begging. And in one sense, we have to say that Bartimaeus is stuck. He's stuck by the roadside, not just uh, physically, but more broadly than that. There is no way out for him. Not any obvious, not any imaginable way out of this situation. But Bartimaeus isn't principally blind. There's something going on as we read through this section of scripture. In fact, Bartimaeus isn't blind. Bartimaeus sees. What do we read? When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. You know, you don't get this just by reading this particular passage of Scripture. But if you've been reading through the whole Gospels and this whole Gospel of Mark, you see that there's this something going on around the disciples and particularly around their ability to see Jesus. You know, they've been close to Jesus, able to touch Jesus, able to walk with Jesus, so close that when he walks, they get covered in his dust. They eat with him. They talk with him, they walk with him, they sleep by him. They see his miracles firsthand. They have unprecedented access, access all areas with Jesus, and yet they don't see. Just before this passage, James and John have been asking Jesus if they can sit at his right and his left when he comes into glory. They've sort of missed the whole service motif. They don't see. They should see, but they don't see. And here's this blind man, and he sees. Jesus, son of David. He recognizes Jesus' identity. Son of David, have mercy on me. And they try and quieten him down, and he won't be quiet. This church is faith. Seeing, though you do not see. Jesus says, blessed are those who have not seen. And yet believe. Bartimaeus is one who doesn't see and yet he believes. It's so simple. It's so powerful. The third thing we find out about Bartimaeus is that he is invisible. What do I mean? Well, no doubt, Bartimaeus is used to being silenced as he is here. Verse 48, many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. He's so used to being quietened and uh, overlooked by people. Life just goes on around him. He probably hears people passing him on the road, but he can't get involved in what's happening. He only has a conversation with people, we assume, if people are willing to first engage with him. Bartimaeus is one of the invisible people. You know, I read this week an article in a, a journal about the power of social isolation. I think we're learning more and more about isolation 
at the moment, aren't we, in our culture? So many people in and around us live in isolation. Do you know that in this country there is a government, a government isolation minister? A minister for loneliness in the UK. A centre for social justice report suggested this. As many as 800,000 people in England are chronically lonely. Many more experience some degree of loneliness. 17% of older people interact with family, friends or neighbours less than once a week, while 11% do so, do so less than once a month. This loneliness is linked to cardiovascular disease, dementia and depression. According to some researchers, in its effect on mortality is similar to smoking and worse than obesity. One study revealed that it can increase the risk of an early death by as much as 30%. This is serious. There is an epidemic of isolation and loneliness in our culture. And people have become invisible. They're hidden in plain sight. Bartimaeus is one of those people. He's invisible and yet he's honoured. He's honoured. Bartimaeus. Why do we know his name? One scholar suggested that we know his name because he was probably became a part of the community of faith. And when people receive this, uh, this gospel, they'll be like, oh, Bartimaeus. You, you mean Bartimaeus? Oh, yeah, yeah, I know Bartimaeus. This invisible outsider becomes honored. You know what his name means? Bar means son. Timaeus comes from a Greek word, Timaeo, which means honor. This is not an invisible man. This is a son of honor. See, in the kingdom of God, the invisible are honored. They're brought to the center. They, they find a place. They find a family. They find belonging. Look what Jesus does. Look what Jesus does. Jesus stopped and said, call him. You know, Jesus has somewhere to go. He's on his way to Jerusalem. He's going to die for the sins of all humanity. He's a busy man and he's not too busy to stop. In stopping, Bartimaeus is able to go to the nearest place he heard Jesus. He's able to find Jesus. Jesus calls him, call him to come. So they call to the blind man, cheer up on your feet. He's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. The dishonored, the invisible man comes to the center of the action right by Jesus. Do you know this is what Jesus wants to do? Jesus sees the dishonored. Jesus sees the invisible. He sees the elderly. He sees the sick. Sees the children. He sees the poor, he sees the lost, he sees the broken. And he invites them to come from the outside to the inside to find a place with him. He honors them, he honors them. You know, if you feel that way this morning, it's as if a red carpet's rolled out before you. And Jesus says, call him to come, call her to come. Okay, so what happens next? You know, we've got this. Mixed story. And it's like we're just on the edge of a precipice here, aren't we, reading through this story. And Pat read it all, which I feel was a bit of a spoiler uh, before. But what happens next? What happens is the anatomy of salvation. 
It is a story, it is a picture, but it is also, also a paradigm of how Jesus reaches people. And the first thing we see is that Jesus calls. Jesus on his way on a royal procession to Jerusalem allows himself to be disturbed and calls Bartimaeus to himself. Without this calling, without Jesus first coming near to him, nothing would be possible for him. There would be no future. Bartimaeus would stay in his isolation, in his stuckness, in the prison of his own physical blindness. Yet Jesus has something much more for him. Jesus calls him, just like he did with Charles Simeon. Stuck in the prison of his own pride. His obsession with uh, money, his obsession with fashion, his obsession with pleasure. Charles Simeon, cut to the heart as he was asked to go to communion. Jesus called him. You know, Jesus did that with me. Jesus has done that with so many of us here. He's called us, and, and he's called us from a place of trappedness, of lostness. And from that place, he's called us into community with himself. And that's how it always begins. You know, there's no such thing as a self-made man, a self-made woman. And if we're going to come to Jesus, there's only one way to come. And that's by faith in the grace of God, in the mercy of Jesus, resting on the compassion and kindness and let me tell you, that is such good news for every one of us because it, it means we don't have to strive any longer. We don't have to try. This isn't about effort. It's, it's not about earning. There is effort involved, but it's not about earning. It's about receiving and it's about responding. We don't have to understand it fully. This is not about recognition completely. This is about response. Jesus calls, Bartimaeus responds. I love how active he is. You get this when you read it, don't you? Uh, on your feet, he's calling you, throwing his cloak aside. It's a violent word. He jumped up to his feet and came to Jesus. His cloak would have been used for sitting on in the day, maybe for collecting money like a guitar bag on the street corner in Market Square maybe. Also for wrapping himself in at night, which probably near, being near to Jericho, he didn't really need very much. But he throws it aside. This is a picture of his security. And there he just leaves it. I won't be needing that. Do you see that? It's faith, isn't it? Like ridding himself of all the dependencies he's learned. If we're going to come to Jesus, we need to come like that, abandoned to him. And it's really powerful, but what can happen, I think, often uh, when, with, with those of us, and we all are in this position, but the, the, the obstacles we have, the, the things that keep us in our private prisons become, can become part of our identity. And that sometimes can be a physical ailment, it can be an attitude of heart, some kind of pattern in our lives. And actually, we don't, if we're being really honest, we don't want to let go of it. Because it becomes the thing that defines us. And here Bartimaeus is called by Jesus and he's only too ready to let go of everything that, let, that kept him by the side of the road. From this place of desperation, the voiceless man finds his voice. Act 
actively he stands up. He's not going to remain a victim, a passive victim, but he stands up and moves to Jesus. And Jesus asks him a question. And this question should pierce every one of our, our hearts this morning. What do you want, he asks him. Bartimaeus simply says, what do, you want me to, what do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked in verse 51. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. In that moment of addressing Bartimaeus, Jesus is testing him, I think. He's saying, look, where is your heart positioned? What is in your heart? There are many people around Jesus who are hanging on clinging on they think he's about to ride victoriously into Jerusalem and they're ready to see the spectacle the glory hunters the bandwagon fans and Jesus is saying to Bartimaeus what do you want what is in your heart I think Jesus already knows but Bartimaeus needs to know Bartimaeus needs to be asked that question so he can address that question. I believe Jesus today would ask us that question. What do you want? What do you want? What do you really want? Get beyond the day-to-day stuff, all of that important. All of that Jesus has a place in and a role in, but really beneath it all. What is your ultimate, what is the ultimate direction of your life? Where is your life headed What is it that you dream of as success when you are in the daydream, the vision of the perfect future? What is it? Is it paying off the mortgage? Is it a stable relationship? Is it the World Cup? What is it? In our belief, Bartimaeus, there's something more than just physical sight. What Bartimaeus is is being invited into here is to follow Jesus. And that's what happens. The third thing we see as Jesus calls and Bartimaeus responds is that they go on together. Go, said Jesus, 52, verse 52. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight. Go, Jesus said, go wherever you want. Do your thing, mate. You've got what you asked for. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. How's he going to spend his freedom? How does he want to use this gift of sight? He wants to put it into service of Jesus. He wants to follow. He wants to be closely joined, to be more closely aligned to Jesus. And so as we uh, think about Bartimaeus today, as we think about Charles Simeon and every other person, both known and unknown, who God has used, who God has worked in, who God has used for great things and for small things, the seen and the unseen. And as we think about our own lives, I believe that the question we need to take hold of today is, what do you want? It's such a simple question. comes right to the heart of the matter. It comes right to the heart of the human desire, of the human heart. And some questions I want to ask us as we get to that final question. First question is this. Are you in touch with your own weakness? 
See, I believe the birthplace for Bartimaeus of this profound and transformative encounter with Jesus was his own weakness. I felt like the Holy Spirit said to me uh, on Friday, and you know, I didn't want to say that. I don't mean that uh, that came with any particular clarity or that I uh, saw it painted on the cloud or that I heard an audible voice. I just mean that I just thought, I thought a thought, and it was like, it was, Johnny, you need to be weaker. You need to press into your weakness. And I felt that that's something I've got to bring to you as well. And I recognize in my own life a desire to make stuff happen. I recognize that my response to the things that I'm asked to do in my life, whether surrounding my family or surrounding this church or whatever else, my response is often to try and buff up, to try and be more, to do more, to try harder, to work harder. And usually I know if I've been doing that because I become more impatient with those I love and with road users. That's the sign that I'm pushing, I'm trying, I'm working, I'm trying to earn. And I think what God would have for us is a completely different posture. I think rather than trying to stretch into strength, God wants us to lean into weakness. And by weakness, I, I, I I even mean sin. What I don't mean is this, that we rejoice in our sin. But I mean that if that is the place that causes us to cry out to Jesus, then it's worth engaging with. Because the reality is, is that when you focus on your strength, you're not going to get very near to Jesus. Jesus is near to you. That's a given. But you're not going to reach out for him. You can do it on your own. You're a human being. You're like me. Probably a bit like me at least. Are you in touch with your own weakness? You know, for me, at the end of my time at university, same place uh, Charles Simeon went to, I was broken. So broken. I can think of a number of different times in my life. Finishing university, when we had our twins, I at that time was training for ordination like Charles Simeon ended up doing. And those those two, they almost finished me off, I tell you. And I was faced with a cocktail of weakness, uh, sleeplessness, but also uh, for the first time in my life, I wasn't excelling. And it was very painful for me. My pride was taking a battering. That was God's grace, by the way. But it felt like weakness. You know, one of the things that's kept me weak in my life is the fact I have wanted to see a move of God in my own life. I have prayed and prayed and prayed that I would experience the power of God in a, in a real way. In the same way that I read about these great heroes of the faith, I've never, it's never happened for me in the way that I'd imagined. God's grace has been enough for me. I'm grateful. I don't feel shortchanged by God in any way. But there's a part of me that's crying out for more. I press into that place. When I'm healthy, I press into that. I say, God, keep me there. If that means means more hunger for you, keep me there. It's weakness. It begins in weakness. You know, the church is a gift 
to a chronically anxious and isolated world and that gift is the gift of showing people that you can be vulnerable, that you can be weak, that you can be open and you're not less valuable when you are but you're on the threshold of breakthrough when you are. That Jesus is never as near to you as he is when you cry out, son of David, have mercy on me. Are you in touch with your weakness today? If not, get in touch with your weakness. We don't need you to hide. We don't need you to fake. Secondly, are you in touch with Jesus' goodness? A.W. Tozer said this, what comes to our minds when we think of God is the most important thing about us. We tend by a secret law of the soul to move toward our mental image of God. Were we able to extract from any man a complete answer to the question, what comes to mind when we think about God? We might predict with certainty the spiritual future of that man. Wow. What we think about God is the most important thing about who we are. And many of us live, I certainly have for many years, with such a distorted vision and image of God that I would, I would never want to draw near to somebody like him. We receive and accept a culture's view of God, that God is a, a bigot, a homophobe, an angry, angry, violent father. Not the father of Jesus. But the scriptures teach us that God looks exactly like Jesus. That in the face of Jesus, we see the face of God. Do you believe that God's baseline emotion towards you is mercy and compassion? Bartimaeus did. Son of David, have mercy on me. If you don't believe that, you haven't yet met that God. Or maybe you need to meet him again. You need to be refreshed in meeting him again. You know, we can sit, some of us, with Bartimaeus at the side of the street, we've never met Jesus. Maybe there's some of you today who've never had an encounter with Jesus that's transformed you. And so you're just asking, is he like that? Is he merciful like that? Today, come to him. Ask him. Pray this prayer now with me. Lord, if you are real, if you are who that guy says you are, show yourself to me. But some of us are in the crowd and we've seen him. We've seen him at work mercifully and maybe we were by the side of the road at some time or another. But we've got used to it and our hearts have grown deadened to the mercy of God. And so when we see somebody who needs mercy, we're just like, Jesus, come on, come on. We've got places to go. We're going to Jerusalem, Jesus. It's gonna be amazing. Keep your eyes on the prize, Lord. And for those of us, we need to be reminded and refreshed in the mercy of Jesus today. And what does that for us is another encounter with his mercy. So let me close with this, the final question. Church, what do you want? What do you want? I want us to be a church that wants him in increasing measure, shifting through the gears toward him. Deeper and deeper and deeper. Encouraging each other again and again and again in love and devotion for him. And let's pray for that now.